Hey, my name is Eric McCoy. This podcast that I'm about to do is directed specifically to those that are suffering out there on the street, the people that are currently using drugs, and I hope they're able to listen to this. The difference between life, which is so fragile, and death stands side by side for those that are suffering. I started utilizing a song to begin my podcast, and this was a song that I wrote and I sang along with two clients. One was a professional keyboardist, and the other one was a pretty damn good drummer, and also a friend of mine, Jonathan. I want to describe this song before I play it a little bit, and it starts out with the words, trapped in a dream, because I know when I was on drugs and I was on methamphetamine, it felt like nothing was real. I felt like I was living in a dream. I felt that I wasn't hurting anybody because it wasn't real. An archaic nightmare. I was taunted by a past in climbing Everest without a rope. I had a life without a meaning, and it was a week without a day. Time didn't exist. I was buried within a sack, and it was always one that I owed, and I still had to pay. I had to take back my story, and I had to show the world that I'm the best. I wanted to bring light instead of darkness, and I wanted to give to the world, and nothing less. When I was in school, I studied Abraham Maslow, who created the hierarchy of needs, and at the top of his pyramid, he had what was called self-actualization, that area of being who you are, finding your meaning, finding your purpose, and giving to the world. The chorus in the song, in darkness, we find the light and clarity is soon in sight if you give it time. Together, you and I, we can make this fight. Because again, in darkness, we will find that light. The next verse is kind of funny and it created a program down in Lake Elsinore that was called Grand Terrace Detox Facility. And the verse starts out with Lacey Fantasia Terrace, who was abandoned on a road. Lacey Fantasia Terrace was a goat. <laughs> that we adopted for her care. She was at a animal shelter and was out to be adopted. And, and that's where they ultimately found her. She was abandoned on a road, listening intently like an Aquarius. You had to find a life of meaning, looking far and wide. Let your fear subside. Grand Terrace is where you find the light. And again, that was the program that we had. The next verse, look within yourself. A spark will light the flame. Let's decide today that freedom is the choice you make. We have to open up our eyes, living the world that you describe. We don't describe the world we see. We see the world that we describe. What we think and what we describe will ultimately be what is going to happen. Something to give and help you. Be happy and live. And I wrote this song because it really had some meaning to me. And it was something that I loved and it was so powerful in this podcast being called Recovering Through Highness because, again, it was so high. We got so high as we were singing and we were playing this song. I want to play the song in the entirety. And then I'm going to do a podcast for the people that are suffering. And this is specifically for you. These are the people that are hurting. So listen to the song and then stay tuned as we continue this podcast.
Okay, and the other thing I'm going to ask you to sing after the second verse, take back your story, show the world you're the best, light instead of darkness, give to the world and nothing less. I'll clue you in on when to sing. All right, here we go. Take one.
please listen to this podcast and fight that desire to switch to something else because the death toll is rising. Every day, I see Facebook posts. I get emails, phone calls, or a message from someone that another individual has died from this epidemic. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I hear news stories or I see data on the mortality rate of that virus. But the difference is that I don't know a single person personally who has died from the coronavirus, unlike the epidemic that everybody seems to have forgotten about. I know many would say that drug abuse is a choice that people make unlike a very contagious virus. But that argument has holes in it if you choose to go out in public without a mask and catch the virus. And again, choose. This podcast is the podcast of hope to reach those that are battling with drugs. So my book, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success, is that book of hope. The first part, which is Pain, Failure, and Misery, is about my story. And it really delves into the last year of my drug use in 2001. And when I say the last year of my drug use, that ended January 3rd, 2002. I meant just 2002 because my story has a lot of ups and downs. I relapsed after having 11 years clean and sober in 2013. When I say that this podcast is directed to those struggling with addiction, most decency, responsibility, and correctness go out the window. So a quick caution to those that struggle with profanity. Quickly turn this off. You got five seconds before I begin. Five, four, three, two, one. This podcast today doesn't give a fuck about feelings, but instead it's about helping people stay alive. If anybody that's listening is about to stick a needle in their arm, please put it down until after you have finished listening to this podcast. If you got a glass pipe full of shit, hang on until we're done. I don't care which drug you have, just tuck it away until we're finished because I need you to be a little focused and actually listen to what I'm going to say. Okay, if you're an alcoholic and you're going into delirium tremens, take a quick shot, but only if DTs are eminent. Hey, you. Yeah, you. All right, stop rolling that bill. There's no lines to be snorted during this podcast. The only thing I ask is that you listen. And then you're more than welcome to put that shit in your body after I finished. Cool? All right. So I want to begin by telling you that I am not going to lie to you. I'm going to speak my truth, and I'm going to be real with you. I started drinking when I was 15 years old, and this led to weed. I dibbled and dabbled in heroin, cocaine, LSD, mushrooms. When I finally found the solution to all of my problems, or at least that's what I thought, this solution was methamphetamine, and I loved it because it gave me confidence, energy, focus, and pleasure. I couldn't find anything negative about it when I started. Now, I have about seven years clean and sober today, and you may ask why. If it gave me all of those great things, why give it up? And the simple answer is that I want to be happy in my life. You may wonder how those positive things I mentioned don't bring happiness, which they did. That answer of happiness is much more complicated, and it needs to be explained in more detail. So as a child, Nancy Reagan told us to just say no. We're informed that drugs are bad, which taught me how dishonest they were since I'd tried them, and I couldn't see the badness that they described. I had a curiosity 
that was not going to be talked away by someone else. My goal isn't to talk anybody out of using drugs, but instead to get people to think and to think for themselves. Thinking for themselves means exactly that and not thinking by being coerced by that drug that you've tucked away for this podcast. Keep it still tucked away. Why did I stop? Well, a part of happiness required control. Do I want to get high sometimes? Yes. Does it creep in my head as a way to gain energy when I'm tired? Yes. But this is where things get tricky. The basic premise of human behavior is that we only do what we would rather do than not do at this moment in time. And you're never going to do anything that you don't want to do. And you're only going to do things that you want to do. Then how do I remain sober when I want to get high on drugs? And this is what is defined as the ambivalent nature of addiction. Because I want to stay clean and sober, which is obviously the opposite of my desire to use. What you value right now is what is most important to you, which is whatever substance is allowing you to maintain what is known as allostasis. So before you ever use drugs, your body was always working to maintain homeostasis, which in simple terms means a balance. So any substance that you've put in your body is going to throw that balance off. And because our bodies are meant to survive, it's going to adapt. And it's going to change to allow your body to function as well as possible with this new chemical that has been consumed. So this new normal that has been created is what is called allostasis. So I'm going to give you a quick example of what this looks like. If any of you have a rig full of heroin that you have so kindly put on your shelf as you await the end of this podcast, you will be injecting what is known as an exogenous opioid. This podcast is called Recovering Through Highness, because if we define something as exogenous, then we must also have an endogenous opioid, which we do. Our bodies have an entire system of opioids. All of you who are addicted to opiates already have what you need to get high within you. Pretty cool, huh? All that heroin does is to mimic your own endogenous opioids. And we got three primary opioids. We have endorphins, we have dynorphins, and enkephalins, which are called neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters serve one function, which is to block or cause the firing of messages within our neurons. So if you step on a nail, a neurotransmitter, which is called substance P, will activate the firing of the neurons to get that message of pain to our brain so we can realize that we have just punctured a hole in our foot. So we go, ouch. Endorphins will work to slow that message of pain so we can remove the nail. Otherwise, the pain could be so intense that it paralyzes you. So this is a major purpose of our endogenous opioids, which is to reduce pain, just as morphine is given in the hospital to reduce pain. So when you slam heroin, you snort it, or you smoke it, your body is seeing this as your endogenous opioids. So your body doesn't know the difference, except for one major problem that occurs. There's too much of it. And this is when your body needs to adapt to it. 
So our neurons have what are called autoreceptors, which regulate the amount of neurotransmitters. And if there isn't enough, it will have them created. Or if there's too many, then it will either destroy them or it will ultimately stop producing them. Once you flood your body full of heroin or other opioids, your body is going to stop producing its own. And it will rely solely on you putting them into your body. You know, as I'm saying this, I started thinking about all the things that we must deal with in life, all the effort that we must put forth to pay bills, we solve problems, and we handle issues with no assistance that we ultimately have to take care of. Now, luckily, our bodies provide some assistance with tasks that we don't have to worry about, which is to pump our heart, breathe, alleviate pain. Could you imagine how much more complicated life would be if we had to consistently tell our body to beat our heart, breathe, pump, breathe. Oh, don't forget, pump, breathe. Damn, we wouldn't ever get anything done. Why do drug users never get anything done and stay solely focused on finding and using drugs? Well, I just explained the answer. Heroin users have taken away something that our body normally is able to do without needing your help, which is to relieve pain. The meth user has taken away the body's natural ability to provide focus and energy. The alcoholic has taken away the brain's ability to remain calm and avoid seizures. And this is one reason why I don't use drugs. Eventually, I had common sense that told me to let my body worry about those things so that I could deal with other things. I used to always say this to clients too. It's like, tell me your problems. What's going on with you? Tell me what's going on. Let me worry about them. Let me help you worry about them. But here's where the nightmare really begins for me, which went beyond those other worries. And it was pleasure. I started using drugs to alleviate depression, and to ultimately feel good and to find pleasure. In all drugs of abuse, as well as behavioral addictions, they impact our pleasure center. So just as drugs have impacted other neurotransmitters, dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter of pleasure, allows us to enjoy life. But this is going to be affected. So now I'm not only needing to take care of normal functions that I shouldn't have to worry about, I now have to provide a chemical for me to feel good. Recovering through highness, as this podcast is called, defines the highness as a property of people, not the drug. So dopamine is what we're getting high on, not the drug. The drugs are going to manipulate. They're going to decrease the release of, they'll block the reuptake of, and they'll alter our own chemicals. So extensive use of opiates will eventually exaggerate your feeling of pain. And sadly, what we all began using drugs for, which was to feel good, will eventually go away because our bodies weren't designed to need outside chemicals to fulfill the jobs that we introduced those drugs for. The adapting within our bodies, they create tolerance and an enormous amount of side effects that we could avoid by doing it naturally. I've told clients many times, I said that, you know, when you get pharmaceutical medications, you go to the pharmacy and you get the medications and then they give you a whole list of different side effects. So the next time you go to your dealer, 
Ask your dealer. I want to get a list of the side effects. <laughs> now, many don't even really understand a lot of the side effects from the drugs that are being used. But I'm going to give you an interesting note. For all the opiate users who have ever gone through withdrawal, you understand exactly what our endogenous opiates do. Your body stopped producing its own. So when you stop, all of the things that you feel and experience is caused by not having your own endogenous opioids, pain, fever, diarrhea, and the list goes on and on. Meth users have no energy. They have no concentration and a deep depression because of the lack of those feel-good chemicals. So I have no interest in telling people not to use drugs or even attempt to create fear to cause people to stop. Why? Because it doesn't work. And all of you listening that abuse drugs will agree with me. I just want you to think through your own mind and decide what is best for you. So a major reason I wrote the book is to offer hope to those struggling to see that if I can get clean and sober twice, you can do it once. I also wrote it to help those that don't understand how powerful it can be. During those 11 years prior to my relapse, I was responsible, hardworking, caring, and lived with integrity until I took one hit off a pipe full of meth. With all of my attempts to remain in control by not using during work, going out at night, or using it intravenously, Mr. Hyde took the stage. As Dr. Jekyll, I was that upstanding citizen who partook of the elixir to become the nightmare of Mr. Hyde. And I was no longer in control. And my mind was taken over, causing me to do the things that I describe in my book. Why did I get clean again? Because I wanted to get high, find happiness, find control, which I lost once I returned to slamming an eight ball of shit a day. Highness was only going to be found clean and sober. I hope that anybody listening can find those things, which leads me to another reason, which is to have and maintain a purpose for my life. My purpose has a lot of different levels, with one as what I am doing right now. I have a deep connection and interest in you. I have no judgment or condemnation for you. Suffering is a downfall to using, while freedom is what I found on the other side. People get sober because of what they don't want, while people stay sober because of what they do want. Your decision to continue using is a personal choice, but you got to ask yourself what you want with your life and if the drug is going to help get you there. I'm going to tell you a trick to dealing with those assholes who are clean and sober and telling you stupid shit. And some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some examples are like, if you don't get a sponsor, work the steps or go to meetings, you're going to get loaded. If you agree and you follow that direction and it works, fantastic. Or if you struggle with what some say, just remember that it's their truth and take it as such. We live in a black and white world with politics, religion, and recovery. And that's okay. But I don't. And the reason is that I have learned to think for myself. I don't care what people think of me. And I don't stay clean and sober for anybody. But it is a choice that I make for myself. Many people think that words hurt. Words don't hurt. 
What hurts is the meanings that people put behind the things that people say that hurt. I used to drive for Uber periodically for fun. I really enjoyed meeting people and ended up in places that I'd never seen before. And I was in Los Angeles one day and I walked into a Burger King and a man began screaming at me and calling me a cracker. This was so out of the blue and I couldn't do anything but laugh, which I'm sure upset the guy even more. Cracker means absolutely nothing to me, although it has a racist connotation to some and obviously this gentleman, his meaning and my meaning were very different. Why do I stay clean? Get high, find happiness, find control, have a purpose and meaning, which leads me to a life of integrity. Interesting note on integrity, which most, even drug abusers, believe in. If you don't trust someone and it bothers you, then integrity is important to you. I lose faith in anybody who will say something that includes their convictions, their standards, beliefs, values, and morals, but behaves differently. Anytime you do something and hide it from others or act secretive, unless you're throwing a surprise birthday party, then you are acting against your own standards. Drug use is full of contradictions within your integrity. And this is important to me. Integrity is tricky because for it to be real, it can't be based on what others do as you have no control over others. If I believe that treating people with respect is important, but is based on the respect that I receive from others, then you're doomed to live without integrity. Just remember that integrity is an ideal. So don't ever strive for perfection because we're not perfect and we're not perfect beings. Self-esteem is an important component to me. And self-esteem says that we are not perfect and we don't ever have to expect ourselves to be perfect. When we make mistakes, we learn from them. We correct them. We learn to do things differently. Why do I stay clean and sober? Get high, find happiness, find control, have a purpose and meaning, live a life of integrity, and hold on to what is important to me. The last chapter of Pain, Failure, and Misery Are the Stepping Stones to Success is a workbook for people to make it their own. Impulse control is one topic which is designed to help people make decisions based on their awareness. A great exercise to see what is important in good decision-making is to weigh consequences of your actions before doing them. Every action in our life has a consequence. And there are positive and negative consequences to everything that you do. When I look at the positive consequences to sobriety, I can identify better health, freedom, relationship with my family, be able to get and hold a job bringing financial security, self-esteem, control, highness, and that list can go on and on. I have no negatives to sobriety today and any positives to using will be temporary, such as energy, focus, concentration, and pleasure. All the positives to using and sobriety are important, but sobriety is the only way for me to maintain all of those. I have found pleasure, energy, concentration, and focus without the drugs. I need to hold on to those for me to stay clean and sober. And I encourage everybody to identify those for yourself 
to be able to think for yourself. If any of those reasons that I identified are important to you, then I hope you find them. I tried every possible way to find that for years without being clean and sober. I tried every tactic I could think of. I tried just drinking. Meth was my problem, so maybe I could gain those by just smoking crack or seeking it through heroin. It didn't work for me. As laws don't keep people from using and dying, maybe it's time that we take it upon ourselves to stop dying. With the huge rise in fentanyl overdose, and for anybody unaware on how overdose happens, I'll explain real quickly. So our brain, our spinal cord, and our gastrointestinal system contain most of our endogenous opioids. Our brainstem is that part of our brain that controls those autonomic functions such as breathing and heart rate, as I described as things that we don't have to think about. Now, when you're seriously injured and your body goes into shock, it's your opioid system that starts slowing down your heart rate and your breathing to slow down blood loss. Remember that opiates are doing the job of your own chemicals, and when you do too much, you flood it. You start filling the receptor sites in your brainstem, putting your body into shock without the actual injury. And so as everything begins slowing down, eventually it may stop. So I'm going to end this soon because if I go too long, most people will leave as they probably have something to do. Do that exercise on impulse control before you take the hit and ask yourself, am I willing to pay the price? It's hard for me today to see using as the best option, but if you do, then please be smart. Test your dope so you know how powerful it is. Be smart and ask yourself, will this really make me happy? And again, are you willing to pay the price? Again, this is Eric McCoy. Thank you for tuning in to Recovering Through Highness.